It's not like you can go pray, pray over a Rolls Royce or whatever and all of a sudden God just gives it to you. Or you go pray over that 10,000 square foot house and God's just going to give it to you. That's not what the verse is saying. Because he has that phrase in there, according to his will. But other people try to see that as some sort of limit on prayer. I don't think it's a limit on prayer either. Uh, in fact, I think it's just the opposite. It is an expansion of prayer. Hello and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sunday School Podcast. What is theology? The word theology can seem intimidating at first, but all it really means is the study of God. Join us as we continue our Sunday School series entitled, Intro to Theology. Well, hello again and welcome to our fourth in the series of Theology. Uh, remember, theology is the study of God, and we're going to have a great time today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be focusing in 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 14 and 15. That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Let me review with you a little bit about what we have covered and where, where we're going today. Last week, we looked at God as Trinity. God is one God in three persons. And that was a wonderful, beautiful study. Uh, there's a lot more to that subject. I hope, you, I, I, I hope you take the time to go look at that concept a lot further. The week before that, we looked at the mightiness of God. We looked at God in his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence, that God is all powerful, that he truly is a mighty God. And when, whenever we think of God, in those concepts, we, we start to think of ourselves as very small. And sometimes we think of God as being so mighty, so powerful, that we are so reserved to even think about coming to God or talking to God. How does a limited being like myself approach an omnipotent, omniscient God? So today, our study in theology, remember theology is the study of God, our study today is that God is approachable that we can approach him and talk to him even though he is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent that we can talk to him and we can converse with him and we can be in fellowship with him would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we start off this sunday school lesson today father uh, we approach your throne of grace because you've given us the privilege to do so You've allowed us, Lord, to come boldly before you and to talk with you and to converse with you. So today, Lord, I ask your blessing upon this lesson. I ask you, Lord, to bless everyone who is engaged with me in this lesson. Lord, that you can open up our hearts, our minds, and souls to understanding and wisdom of your word and of your will. And Lord, I give you honor and praise for these things now through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen and amen. In a magazine cover story from several years ago, there was a story titled, Talking to God. And in that story, there was a Gallup poll, a Gallup poll that I want to share with you today. The Gallup poll reported that 91% of women and 85% of men say that they pray regularly. That includes 94% of blacks and 87% of whites. 57% of Americans say they pray at least once a day. Now, when I'm looking at those stats, those stats sound wonderful. You know, 91% of women, 85% of men, 57% of Americans say they pray at least daily. It sounds awesome. 
In fact, a few other stats sounded pretty good too. The survey went on to say that 32% of the people who pray report that it gives them a deep sense of peace and that 26% of the people said they sense the actual presence of God in their prayers. Those aren't bad numbers, not as high as the number that pray, but still pretty decent numbers. However, the last statistic is the one that shook me. The last statistic from the Gallup poll, only 15% of the people found that they regularly received definitive answers to their prayers. 15%. That is a horrifying, horrifying stat. In other words, what we have, we have a lot of people praying, but we have very few people connecting. And that's the breakdown. We have a lot of people in prayer, but not a lot of connection. People who say they do not receive definitive answers to your prayers. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I want to give you a statement that may shake you to your roots, but uh, definitely a statement that you need to take to heart. God never does anything apart from prayer. I want you to underline that statement if you're writing it down. I want, you know, I want that to be the cornerstone of this lesson today. God never does anything apart from prayer. R.A. Torrey put it this way. Prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has is at the disposal of prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And since God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. I like that last statement. Prayer is omnipotent. If we serve an all-powerful God, an omnipotent God, then that means prayer is also omnipotent because God reacts to prayer. So ladies and gentlemen, you, I, I want to say it again. God never does anything apart from prayer. If you expect to receive blessings of God, God's help, you've got to be praying. God does not act outside of those prayers. That takes us now to our key scripture, because remember, we are, we are, we're talking about approaching an all-powerful, all-knowing God. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 5. I want to start in verse number 14, and I'm going to be breaking some things down with you, but uh, the things I think that will help you uh, in your relationship with the Lord. The Bible says, I'm just going to start, I'm, I'm just going to go with parts of verses at times. Starts out with, now this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence we have in him. The word confidence there, the translation of that word does not convey what the original Greek hearer would have gotten from that word. Because we think of confidence as, you know, I'm ready, I'm confident, I'm able. That's not what the word really means. The word confidence in this verse literally means freedom of speech. In other words, it's a Greek political term, and it basically means that you have the freedom to speak, uh, like, like speaking your mind in an open assembly. That you have the freedom of speech in an open assembly. When he says we have confidence in him, he's literally saying you have the freedom of speech in the assembly hall of God to talk to him. All right? That the confidence we have in him is the ability to speak to God, all right? That's our access. It's, it, it is given for us in a couple of other scriptures as well. Romans chapter five, verse number two says, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice it says access. We have access by faith. 
That's the key of we have confidence in him. We have the ability to enter into the throne room of God in our prayers, and we have the ability to be heard. That's the confidence we have in him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to, grace to help in time of need. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Again, that's the confidence we have. The confidence is we have the power to publicly speak to God, to talk with him in his throne room. That's the confidence we have in him. Now notice the pronoun we. This is not the privilege of everybody on the planet. It's the privilege of those who are saved. Those who are lost, God wants to hear one prayer. Lord, I repent of my sins. That's it. The, you know, most of the Bible is written to Christians. It's written to us, to we in this particular verse. Uh, so this privilege is not, you know, if you have the person who lives like hell seven days a week who never ever tries to, you know, do anything to honor God and he finds himself in trouble, oh Lord, would you bless me out in this time of trouble? That prayer does not get past the ceiling. God wants to hear one prayer from that person. That, you know, you know, and that prayer is, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please save me. But to the Christian, we have confidence. And the word confidence means the ability to speak boldly, to come before his throne. So, we, so the confidence we have is that we can approach him. Now, we can be confident because of our status as who we are in relationship to the Lord. When we talk to God, it's not like a citizen trying to talk to a president. When we talk to God, it's not like a subject would talk to a king or queen. When we talk to God, it's not like a slave would talk to a master or an employee would talk to an employer. When we talk to God, it is as a son would speak to his father, as a daughter would speak to her father. In other words, it is a relationship that we have with him, that we can cry, as the Bible says, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. We talk to him as our Father. We have a family relationship with the King of the universe. We are actually prince and princesses because we are children of the King, the King of the entire universe. The Lord's Prayer starts out with these words, Our Father, who art in heaven. Not the King, not His Majesty, not the Creator of all the universe. It starts out with the words, Our Father, who is in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice that whole verse centers on the child-father relationship. We give good gifts to our children. I know I, I right now I pay for my son's car, I pay for his insurance to drive the car, I pay for his cell phone, I pay for the clothes that are on his back. I mean, I, I supply that because I'm his father and he's not independent yet. Ladies and gentlemen, how much more does our Father in heaven supply our needs? How much more do we have that relationship with him and he's there to give good gifts to us? I want you to notice the preposition in that section of verse I just gave you. This is the confidence we have in him. I want you to notice that preposition in. In the Greek, this preposition is a preposition of intimacy. Did you hear that word intimacy? I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. Intimacy, family intimacy. The, it, mean, it means beside or with or in. 
What it literally means is that we have such an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father that whenever we enter His presence, it's like we're seated on His right hand talking with Him. That, you know, that we're just whispering in His ear. That we're talking with our Daddy. You know, uh, as a school teacher, people will call me Dr. Roberts. Uh, Dr. Roberts this, Dr. Roberts that. However, there have been occasions in which my son would visit the school for something, to pick up keys to something or whatever, and he would walk into my classroom. And there have been times he's been in my class. He was sick a few times when he was in high school, and he went to school with me and just sat in the back of the classroom, tried to chill out and so on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he didn't call me Dr. Roberts or Mr. Roberts at the time. Uh, he didn't refer to me that way. I'm dad. And the way that we related to each other, very different than the way other people related. One time a situation developed, and I don't want to get into it all, but I heard a student tell, tell, tell another student, I would never talk to him that way. Talking, talking about the way my son was addressing me. My son and I have that family intimacy. The intimacy that as a son, he can talk with me. And at times as a son, he can disagree with me. And sometimes those become little heated conversations because he's my son. And, you know, he, he can go to places and talk about things that as a student in the classroom, someone else, no, we don't, we, we, we don't have that closeness. We don't have that intimacy. So whenever we're talking to God, that in him, the verse says, we have that pronoun of intimacy, that we are with him, beside him, in him. We're able to talk with him as a child to a daddy. And we have that close relationship with him. I want you to think about, if I were to call the White House today, do you think Donald Trump would take my call? The answer to that question is no. Because he doesn't know me. The White House receives approximately 3,500 telephone calls a day with people asking to speak to the president, approximately. 3,500 phone calls a day, people thinking that they can get through and talk to Donald Trump one-on-one. -on -one. How many of them get through? None. Uh, do you think if I wrote a letter to the president, an email to the president, by the way, I've emailed the White House on several occasions. Do you think the president has ever looked at one of my emails? No, I don't think so. The press office says that the White House receives 100,000 emails a day. And that they also receive uh, over 65,000 letters addressed to the president every week. Mine would be a needle in the haystack. I wrote letters, emails whenever George Bush was president. I wrote emails when Obama was president. I've written emails with Trump as president. Sometimes the emails have been positive. I like what you're doing with X. Sometimes they've been negative. You need to rethink X, whatever it is. Uh, do, you think, do, you, do you think any of those presidents have ever read my emails? No. Some staffers looked at them. And probably the FBI, whatever, has made sure I'm not some sort of threat that I'm trying to assassinate him or something, which I'm not. Uh, and, you know, just, just, you know, checking stuff like that out to make sure I'm not one of the crazies of the planet. But the president probably has never seen any of those letters that I have written. But every time I get on my knees before the Lord, and every time I say, Father, our Father which art in heaven, he immediately is with me. 
And, and I have his full attention at that point. It's almost like the response is coming back, son, go ahead and speak. I'm here. I'm listening. The president may not want to hear me, but the king of the entire universe, I have such a relationship with him as my daddy. He wants to hear me and talk with me. Yes, he is omnipotent. Yes, he is omniscient. Yes, he is omnipresent. But he's still daddy. And I'm able to go to him and approach him. I mean, there is one thing to have fear in the sense of reverence. I reverence who God is. I don't disrespect him at all. But that fear is not to be translated as uh, the inability to go to him or shame to go to him. He, the whole purpose of creation is to have fellowship. What did he do when he created Adam and Eve? He came to have fellowship with them in the garden. When they sinned, when did God confront them? He confronted them when he came down in the garden because the fellowship was there. What's the whole purpose from the time of Adam and Eve till sometime in the you know, future which Jesus comes back? What's the whole purpose? To restore that physical communion all the time because the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the whole purpose, to have that physical communion on that daily basis. So... He says, this is confidence we have in him. We have the ability to speak to him because we are in him, because we have that relationship with him. Then the verse goes on to say, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this verse uh, because on the one hand, you have the group of people who say, you know, whatever you ask God for, he's going to give it to you. Well, that's not what the verse is saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not like you can go pray, pray over a Rolls Royce or whatever and all of a sudden God just gives it to you. Or you go pray over that 10,000 square foot house and God's just going to give it to you. That's not what the verse is saying. Because he has that phrase in there, according to his will. But other people try to see that as some sort of limit on prayer. I don't think it's a limit on prayer either. Uh, in fact, I think it's just the opposite. It is an expansion of prayer. Do you know that God's plans for us are so much more than we can even imagine? What God wills and desires for our lives is so much more than we've ever dreamed. So we think that the will of God is some sort of limitation when in, when in reality the will of God is an expansion to our lives. If we would just get into his will and stay there. You know, to, to do the will of God, you have to know the will of God. And to know the will of God, you have to seek the will of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be seekers of his will. And that's why we'll expand our lives to such joy unspeakable that we've never even imagined whatever it is that, 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 that it could be. The bottom line is this, Father knows best. Our daddy knows best for our lives. I wanna give an example. When I was four or five years old, somewhere in that area, just a little kid, uh, where we lived in West Virginia, we had to pull off the main road to this little side road which led to our house. Side road had no traffic on or whatever. And even at that age, four or five years of age, I wanted to drive the car. Now, how many of you are gonna let a four or five year old just take off with your car? Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Four or five year old person, not ready to drive the car. So my dad one day, cause I had begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded, one day I crawled up from the back seat. We got on this little side road, which is just a, you know, 100 feet or whatever from the house. 
And uh, he put me on his lap and he let me steer the steering wheel. He controlled the gas and brake and I, I didn't really think about it much, but I do remember he had his hand on the bottom of the steering wheel. He wasn't just gonna let me haphazardly turn the steering wheel whichever way and go with the car. Dad was still in control, but he was giving me that idea that I could just steer the steering wheel just a little bit to make me feel like I was driving. You know, four or five years old, just a little kid. Uh, he, was trying, he was trying to make me feel good. What type of father? would just jump out of the car at that point and say, okay, it's yours, go for it, at four or five years of age. That wasn't gonna happen. It doesn't matter how much I beg, how much I plead, how much I scream, how much I cry, snot all over, whatever. It doesn't matter. Dad was not gonna let me as a four or five-year-old take control of the car and drive the car. It was not in his will to do so. Ladies and gentlemen, Compared to the creator of the universe, how much do you really know? Who are you or who am I to advise God on what he should or should not do? Do you really have the mental capacity to tell God this is the proper course of action? Maybe, just maybe, we are like the four-year-old to the person driving the car. Maybe, just maybe, we're not ready for what we think we're ready for. There have been a lot of times I've asked God for things I found that I wasn't ready for. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have to figure out what His will is and stay within His will. So, how do we discern the will of God? That's an important concept because, if, you know, because the verse says, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us according to His will. So, how do we discern the will of God? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, that we should pray to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All right? God's not trying to hide his will. So many people try to think that God is this elusive being who's trying to hide his will. I don't believe that at all. The Heavenly Father is not playing some sort of spiritual cat and mouse game with us. Uh, He's not playing hide and seek with us either. Uh, He's not treating his will like Easter eggs that we have to go out and try to find the Easter eggs. He wants us to know his will. He wants us to know his whole plan. Now, you say, well, how, how is it that we figure out the will of God? Ladies and gentlemen, my, and this is my estimate, 95 plus percent of everything we need to know about God's will in life is contained in this book right here. The written word of God. Uh, this, this, this contains the answers to almost every situation you and I will ever face. If you think about the main areas of our lives, the main areas of our lives, first of all, let's deal with our home life. Our home life deals with family, deals with friends. It may deal with some recreation, some relaxation, doing games, going fishing, whatever. Our home life, all right? That's one area of our lives. The second area of our life is our job life. For those of you who still work, it's our job life, the employment, the way we operate on the job. And then the third major area would be our worship life, our life in the church, communing with the other members of the family of God. Those are the three biggest areas of our lives. This book tells us how to work in all three. That's why when we're in our personal time, we're not out doing things to hurt people. The Bible tells us, about stealing, killing, raping, all that type of stuff, the way we act within the society. When we're on the job, 
He tells us how we are supposed to relate to our employer, how we're supposed to relate to our co-workers. It's all in the book. In our worship life, all you have to do is survey the book of Psalms. He tells us how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible is God's plan in written form for us to understand what His will is. Here's the bottom line. God's not going to break the promises of His Word just because you pray. If you pray contrary to the book, if you pray contrary to what God has already said, it's going to fall flat. I had a lady one time in a church that my wife and I pastored. Had a young lady. I was, uh, we had a basement in our church, and I was downstairs in my office, and the parsonage was right next door. But I was downstairs, and, you know, I was downstairs in my study, and I was, you know, I was doing some sermon prep and so on. My wife was next door. But a lady, uh, a lady and another friend, came into the church, and they uh, in, in, in this church, each family took weeks to clean the church. And it was this family's time to clean the church, so she came with one of her friends to clean the church. They were upstairs in the sanctuary, just vacuuming and so on. Well, she knew I was downstairs, so she took a few minutes and came downstairs to talk with me. And she said, Brother Roberts? And I said, yes. She said, I need to tell you something. Okay. She said, I want you to know that my boyfriend has moved in and that he's living with me. But it's all okay because in God's eyes, we are married because we've consummated the relationship. In other words, she said, because we had sex, God considers us married. No, that's not the way it works, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> because the Bible has another name for it. It's called fornication. Fornication is not marriage. Fornication is fornication. Adultery is adultery. In other words, it was sin. But she was trying to justify it by saying, you know, I still serve the Lord and so on. God considers us married. No, he considers you fornicators because the book is always true. And uh, then she went on to ask me if she could still sing special in church on Sunday morning. And of course, the answer to that question was no. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to figure out what God's will is. God's word is always true if everybody else is a liar. Fornication in this case is fornication. It, that's the book. What was God's will in that situation? Boyfriends should not be living there. They should not be cohabitating. They should not be sexually intimate with each other. The Bible is true. Let's go on. Some of you will have a problem with something I said earlier, that the Bible addresses 95, 96% of the situations we face in life, and you can find your answers straight in the book. Some people will say, wait a minute, Brother Roberts, that's 100%. There are the occasional rare circumstances that develop where we don't know what to do. We look at the Bible, and the Bible doesn't have a clear-cut scenario. Uh, that, you know, the, you know, the Bible is not exhaustive. It doesn't treat every possible developing situation. It deals with almost everything. Uh, all of the big things that we deal with in life, the Bible addresses them. But there are a couple of occasions when something develops that you go, okay, I don't know what to do here. Uh, I, you know, I run my Bible verses, I've done my study, and the Bible just doesn't address the issue. What do I do in those situations where the Bible has not addressed the issue? This, this covers the rest of it. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is 
because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, for the rest of those, you know, few situations, rare, rare situations, that you don't have clear-cut scripture, we're, we're, we're Christians. As Christians, the Spirit of God lives within us, and He leads us and He guides us. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. The Spirit of God will never lead you in a way that's contrary to the Scripture. He will not break His own word. In other words, He's not a liar. God does not lie. It's in fact, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. So God does not lie. He's never going to lead you in a way to break the word. You know, he's not going to say, thou shalt not steal, and then give you special permission to steal from somebody. Uh, that's not the spirit leading you. That's greed. That's evil. That's the lust of the flesh. Greed leading you. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we, you know, almost every situation we face is in the book. When we're in those rare situations that something comes up, we don't know the answer. We allow the spirit of God, the spirit of holiness to lead us into the path that we ought to go, knowing that every step we take in that situation must still follow every precept of the written word of God. Every precept of the written word. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's how you discern the will of God. Get in the book and follow the leading of the spirit and allow, allow the two working together to lead you in all the paths of truth. Now, that takes us to verse number 15. And in verse number 15 of our scripture, 1 John chapter 5, one thing I want you to notice about verse number 15 is that the word know is used two times. All right? He didn't say think. He said know. And he, and he uses the same word twice. If you think something, you have an opinion. All right? If you know something, that's a deep conviction. There's a big difference between having an opinion and having a deep conviction. Uh, just before we did this recording, Brother Rory and I were having a discussion about some different things and so on. And he expressed a few opinions to me. I expressed a few differing opinions back to him. We weren't arguing. We were just having fun. Uh, Rory and I had those discussions a lot. We just have some fun. And we pick at each other. And it's kind of fun to pick at each other. And we, you know, and I'll throw in those weird questions once in a while just so he'll give me that face that says, what did you just say? Uh, and, uh, you know, expressing opinions about various things. Now, every once in a while, he'll ask me a question about something I have a deep conviction of that I know to be true. Other times, I just have an opinion and, you know, opinions can be wrong. But if you know something, that's truth. Uh, it's hard to change someone's mind when they, when, when they know the truth versus when they're thinking something and just have an opinion. So, verse number 15 doesn't use the word think. It's not, it is not talking about opinions. It's talking about something you know. In fact, he uses the word know twice, and he's talking about those deep convictions. Let me tell you the basic conviction of this verse. You find it in the first part of verse 15. God responds to our prayers. The Bible says, and we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. He, now, I want you to focus on that word hears. We, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, so on. The word hears in this case is an active verb. In other words... God's not just listening to what we say. He's taking action. When we pray according to his will, he's not just sitting in heaven listening to us. He's taking action on what is being said. He's acting on the prayer. Uh, 
How many of you have ever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, no, this is kind of a male scenario usually. I don't want to be too sexist here. But how many men have been sitting around TV, especially football season, Super Bowl, whatever, middle of the game, wife's in the kitchen, and wife says, your name. Uh, you, know, why, you know, my wife will say, Rich. Now, when she calls my name in the middle of the game, did I hear her call my name? Yes, I did. What will be my typical reaction when she calls my name? Nothing. I'm going to sit in my recliner, and I'm going to focus on the game, and I'm probably going to ignore the fact that she said, Rich. Now, everyone listening to me today, you, you know what happens next. She acts like, I didn't hear her. I did hear her. So what does she do? She gets louder, maybe even coming around the corner. Rich, I called for you. I may at that point choose to ignore her some more, or I may say something to the effect of, yeah, I heard you. Now, if I say the latter, yeah, I heard you, the next statement's gonna be, well, that means answer me and come in here. She wants me to act on the calling of my name. She wants me to act to respond to her calling my name, not to ignore her and not to use those famous words in a minute. If she says rich, she expects me to say, yeah, what do you need? Even if it is the middle of the Super Bowl. Uh, she, she expects the response. Ladies and gentlemen, when we say God, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, he doesn't sit back like I, you know, like, like, like I sometimes do do in the recliner and ignore. Ah, uh, God takes action. The word here is active. He always responds 100% of the time. The problem is he doesn't always respond the way you want him to respond. Remember, according to his will, God's will has, you know, is, is paramount in the way the response takes place. Sometimes God gives an immediate direct answer. Sometimes you pray and boom, there it is. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call I will answer, and while they are still speaking I will hear. This is the immediate direct response of God. Many of you uh, watching listening to me today, you know of miracles that have taken place. One of the earliest miracles I ever saw as, as a child, my grandmother, who was a severe diabetic, uh, type 2 diabetic, she had broken her arm and she was in a cast and her arm itched so bad under the cast. She'd be sticking clothes hangers in there and everything else trying to scratch because her skin was dry under the cast and it was driving her nuts. Well, we went to church at a little, little free Methodist church. It's a different, you know, it is not the United Methodist, free Methodist church. Uh, and we were in, in the city of Lapeer, Michigan. So anyway, at the end of service, she called for the ordained, for the elders of the church, to anoint her and pray for her, to, because she, you know, she needed a healing. Her arm was itching, was driving her crazy. So she came up front, the elders got together, prayed for her. The itching stopped. What they prayed for was a healing. She, she was talking specifically about the itching, but a lot more happened that day. Her insulin started making her sick. You see, my, my grandmother was a diabetic and uh, severe diabetic and she took insulin, you know, she was insulin dependent. God not only took away the itch, God took away her diabetes as well. 
From that moment on, her hemoglobin A1C average was normal without insulin. It was like God restored the pancreas and allowed it, allowed it to work normally again. The sugar levels in her body remained normal to the day she died. She always called herself a diabetic, but from the moment of that prayer on, she wasn't a diabetic. You know, her blood sugars were way high before, and after this, her hemoglobin A1C sugar level was average, normal. God performed a miracle because that just doesn't happen. She had three different doctors talk to her about it. It just doesn't happen that someone goes one day from being, you know, sugar levels 300, 400, whatever, to the next day, sugar levels 95, 100, and staying that way no matter what it is that she's eating. I mean, she, my grandmother never had a controlled diet. Uh, she ate whatever. And, uh, but yet her sugar levels remaining 95, 100. That's a work of God. It was an instantaneous, direct response of God. Uh, and uh, I give him all of the glory for that. But that's one of the earliest miracles I've ever seen, a direct response from God. Sometimes he answers the prayer, but it's delayed a little bit for his own purposes. When I was, when I was first starting college, uh, I, had, uh, you know, I had a desire to go all the way through to my doctorate. I wanted to get bachelor's, master's, doctorate very quickly. Boom, boom, boom. Well... That wasn't the plan of God. Uh, I got my doctorate, but I got it at 52 years of age, not at 21, 22, 23, whatever. Uh, it, didn't, it, it didn't happen way back then. Why was the answer delayed? The answer was delayed because my focus shifted. If I had gone straight to a doctorate when I was that young, I had my PhD in English because I'm, I'm an English teacher. I'd have gone straight as an English professor. But my doctorate's not in English. My doctorate's in theology. God wanted my focus to be upon him, not upon classical literature. So God delayed the answer to that prayer so that my focus could reshift to the area he wanted me to be in. So sometimes the answers are delayed. Say, you, know, you still get it, but you get it in God's timing. Sometimes he gives you a different answer. Uh, you know... You could say that my answer for that doctorate was different. Instead of getting a doctorate in English, I got a doctorate in theology. Still a doctorate, but different field. So sometimes it shifts. Uh, when I went to buy my first brand new car as a teacher, first brand new car, I, uh, I was living with my parents, didn't have any bills, making a teacher salary. I went to the Ford Mercury place and I thought I was going to buy, uh, you know, I was going to drive out of there with a town car. I test drove this beautiful maroon town car, biggest car they had on the lot, beautiful car. Drove it up around the mall, you know, test driving it. I thought that car was just gorgeous. And I had figured it up. I could make the payments on town car. No problem. What I hadn't figured was insurance. Do you know what the insurance for a 21-year-old male is? Uh, uh, I'm a single male uh, driving a town car? Yeah. Uh, talk to the insurance people. Brother Larry, former insurance, he can tell you that's a much, much higher rate than the 60-year-old who's driving the town car who's had no wrecks or whatever. If you're a 21-year-old male driving a town car, uh, yeah, you have high insurance. I couldn't pay the payment on the car plus, plus the payment on the insurance. You want to know what I drove out with? I had a brand new car, but it wasn't a town car. I drove out with a Ford Festiva, the smallest car they had on the lot. Because that was the only car I figured I could afford having the car payment plus the insurance. 
because uh, I, you know, I wanted to have some spending money when I was out driving around town. You know, it's awful to drive a car if you don't have any spending money or you don't have the money to put gas in the thing. Uh, so I drove out with a Ford Festiva. Did, did God grant my request of having a new car? Yes, he did. Was it different? Absolutely. It was not a town car. I didn't drive out town car. I, you know, it took me many years to ever own a, you know, ever own a town car, and that was way down the line. Uh, I drove out with the Ford Festiva. So sometimes the answer is a little different. Sometimes the answer is no. Flat out no. And we don't like that. We think that we are the best advisors as far as what, what, what should happen in our lives. But just like me asking my dad, like I told you earlier, about driving the car. When I'm four and five years old, the answer is no. It's not maybe or we'll wait and see. The answer is no. You're not going to drive the car. Because I'm four or five years of age, I'm not ready to drive the car. Sometimes God just gives us the answer no, and we don't like that. He still, but here, here's the issue. He still answered. God answers the prayer. He hears us and he answers. But sometimes that answer is not what we want. We want a yes and the answer is no. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line of this lesson, we serve an all-powerful God. We serve an all-knowing, omnipresent God. But we are able, as children of God, to approach Him as Daddy. We're able to go to Him and say, Lord, I need whatever it is. And He hears our prayer. He wants us to talk with Him. Prayer is that key that unlocks the door to everything of faith. Without prayer, you don't receive. He even says you have not because you ask not. We ask to receive. We seek to find. We knock and the door is open. But we have not because we ask not. We have to ask according to his will for him to hear us. We're going to begin as we, as we continue this theology series. We're going to go into a subsection of it. Next week we're going to get into Christology. Uh, Christology is the study of Christ. So we're, so we're going to be looking at Jesus and, we're going to, and we, are, we are specifically going to be looking at the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus as he identifies and explains who he is to the world. The I am statements of Jesus. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. I want you to have a great, great rest of your week. I want you to have a good time. Uh, today, Brother Rory is going to be bringing forth the message. Have a good time listening to him as well. And I want you to have a wonderful time uh, as you serve the Lord this week. Can I have a word of prayer with you? And then we'll be finished. Thank you, Lord, for this lesson today. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, it is an awesome, awesome knowledge that we have. We can come to you anytime about anything that we can open ourselves up to you. And Lord, you are there and that you hear us, that you respond to us. And Lord, we earnestly, completely seek your will. We want your will to be evident in every area of our lives. Give us, Lord, a wonderful rest of this week. Let your word be magnified inside of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed we're enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from our adult Sunday school class. Each week, these Sunday school lessons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday school videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to the channel and be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. For audio, you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. 
You can also find these audio recordings on our website free to download. Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.